This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in roughly 20 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? It's very good, Bryce. How are you? Good. Just having a bit of a laugh before we started because the way that we do our synchronization when we're not in the same room recording is to do a countdown over the phone. And if there are some scientists out there that can explain that there is a lag between phones, (laughs) I would love you to write in and let Ren know. The price is just a little bit slower on the countdown than I am. <laughs> no, there's a lag. <laughs> Mate, <laughs> we live in a we live in a global, you know, interconnected uh, economy with you know satellites in the air, beaming things in fractions of seconds, <laughs> and somehow you can't you count down a full two seconds later than I do. <laughs> no. As much as technology has improved the lives of everyone, there is still a lag between <laughs> phone calls. So, Mate, someone please are... write in and let us know that that is the case. <laughs> there are traders that execute trades in fractions of a second from the other side yeah, of the world. you and I aren't and you... running a copper cable between our ears at the moment. So... <laughs> You're relying uh, on Vodafone, and any, anyway, anyway, let's Telstra. <laughs> but anyway, Telstra, Telstra. <laughs> anyway, we are here to chat stocks as always, Ren. And this episode, we're going to revisit a segment that I think we've only ever done once before, and we had full intention to do many more. But as always, there is just so much to talk about. We haven't revisited it since, and that is our series on meeting the investor. Um, And so to recap, the idea is, and for anyone that hasn't uh, listened to the previous episode or has just joined the show, welcome. But the idea is that uh, in this episode, we're going to introduce you to an Australian investor, famous or otherwise, and give you a bit of an insight into the way they invest and we'll play a few clips, um, audio clips from this gentleman speaking and uh, we'll sort of 
have a chat about some of the uh, the clips and and go from there. So, Ren, do you want to give the intro, um, who the investor is, and then we will jump into some of his thoughts? Yeah, for sure. So, as you said, this is the second one we've done. the The first one was Kerr Nielsen, one of Australia's best investors. And this, uh, this person we're about to introduce is also one of Australia's best investors. And I guess this is the point of what we do with this Meet the Investor segment. It's an opportunity for, you know, most of our audience is Australian, but wherever you're listening to get to know some of Australia's best investors, because we all know a lot of America's best investors. Warren Buffett, you know, is a name that everyone sort of knows, um, but... There's some, there's some guns in Australia as well. So without further ado, uh, this episode is on Paul Moore. So Paul Moore is, he's had about 34, 35 years of experience in the industry starting in uh, 1985. But when he really came into his own was in the mid nineties when he assumed responsibility for uh, BT market funds who uh, outperformed in, in the mid nineties. And then in 1998, he started his own fund, PM Capital. And since then, uh, Paul has been running PM Capital. He's got a number of funds, a couple of listed investment companies. Um, One that we've actually spoken about on the show before with Andrew Brown, which was PM Capital Global Opportunities Fund. That, that That was probably episode five or six of our podcast. The first interview we ever did, Andrew talked about uh, the opportunity to invest in that company at lower than its tangible asset value or its net asset value. So Paul has been someone we've sort of been thinking about for a while. And look, one day we hope to get him on the show. But until then, we will make do with introducing him to all of our listeners and uh, hopefully learning a thing or two about him ourselves uh, through some audio clips that we've been able to dig up from some interviews that he's done. Yeah, so let's get stuck into it. The way this is going to work is we'll we'll play a clip that we've found from Paul over the last few years talking about all different sorts of things and then and then we'll either give a bit of commentary ourselves uh, and then and then we'll move on to the next one. So with I think I think in the interests of keeping this short sharp and snappy we'll probably not try and give too much commentary <laughs> this isn't a this isn't a meet the equity mates episode no, that's uh, no. all all other hundred odd episodes that we've done yes. um, <laughs> so i think without further ado let's start at the beginning let's uh this first clip we've been able to pull out is paul talking about his first investment and some of the things he learned um in those early days paul 30 years in the industry um, you're going to have to cast your mind back a long way to, to, to answer this question. What was your first investment? What got you started? Uh, first investment was back in university days, and it was actually an investment in Blue Metal Industries. Uh, I acquired it from a family member. Um, so probably not a lot of work done on it, um, but uh, it was like jumping in the pool, you know, getting started, and uh, actually got lucky because it got taken out by Boral. So it was a positive experience. And um, then I actually rolled that into Carlton and United Brews. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, more an instinctive 
purchase. I don't think there was too much work on the financials or... You were just doing some product testing through university, I imagine. That probably was what you know, kind of triggered it, yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, I got lucky with that one too in that Elders IXL uh, purchased it. So first two experiences uh, were fortunate, um, but yeah, not a lot of work done on them. <laughs> Okay, there you go. So a bit of an insight into Paul's first investment. So now, Ren, let's jump into the second one, uh, which was all about uh, the most important advice is uh, backing your own conviction. 30 years in the market. Thanks for reminding me. Yep, 20 running running your own business. Um, Undoubtedly, you've um, had to... You've you've taken a few scars along the way and, and learnt a few things, and it's probably changed or influenced the way that you invest now uh, it's part of developing experience yep talk me through something that's sort of shaped you know something that you look back and you go I, I, I got taught a lesson there and I'm glad I learned it it's made me a better investor today yeah uh, I mean investing is definitely not a straight line yep. you have your good years you have your, your bad years you know sometimes people think you're a superstar sometimes they think you're a mug <laughs> so, um, but what that highlights is that the most important advice I'd ever give to anyone that was starting off on the investment uh, will is that you've really got to back your own conviction, make your own decisions, because that's the lesson that's really stood out to me. Um, and it's worked both ways in that, um, yeah, I've had, when you have an instinct uh, about a certain risk reward, uh, I've been talked out of investments that have gone on to go up multiple times. Uh, and likewise, I've had red flags in an investment. You don't react to them because of either, one, they've already come down a bit, and you think, oh, I'll wait for a better time. You never get a better time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah having the you know, conviction to back your thought process and acting quickly, that's probably the two big lessons. So the next two clips are both follow on from each other. We've just broken them up to make them flow a bit better. So the first one is on inflation and then the second clip gets into the effect of inflation and the interest rates that follow it and how that affects different investments, including property. Yeah, well, it's interesting because when I started my career, which is 30 years ago, um, we were really at the beginning stages of the authorities dealing with inflation, you know, the, that experience through the 70s. And so the, the groundwork had been laid to deal with inflation. And even though it was still high, it was on its way down. And so to be honest, my whole 30 year career, I've seen declining inflation rates, uh, declining interest rates, which means that most people in the industry, probably 90% of people in the industry have had the same experience. So really in terms of how markets uh, react to inflation or the prospect of higher inflation or the the potential for a scare in inflation, it's really only from the textbooks for for me and most of the industry. And following on from that clip on inflation, uh, Paul picks up his answer here. So people have to think differently about uh, their investment uh, ideas, you know, where there's likely to be opportunities you know, to put your capital. It's going to be very different from the 30 years that we're, we've seen. Um, for example, you know, property, prime beneficiary of the lower interest rates that have come from lower inflation. 30-year trend. Don't underestimate just how far we've come and to what an extreme we've come. So over the next 10 years plus, 
the reality is interest rates are probably going to be quite different to what we've become used to over the last you know, five years. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting because the reality is none of us have that experience. If interest rates are bottom, the first thing people have to remember is that the discount rate's going to be going up, which depresses valuations across the board. So we're on a bit of a theme here. The next one is still in the, in the realm of inflation, and Paul is talking about some of the good and bad investments in an inflationary environment. Obviously not an environment that we've been investing in over the past, well, really since we started investing, there hasn't been a lot of inflation in the market. But at some point, the cycle will turn. You know, cycles always do turn. Um, so as you're looking forward and as we're looking forward into our investing lives, it's probably an important thing to understand what investments do well and what investments don't do well when uh, there's a lot of inflation in the system. So hopefully Paul can uh, help us start thinking about it. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. What are the specifics? You said you need to look at a different opportunity set when it comes to investments to, the, to what people could invest in or benefit from while rates were coming down. Yep. What are the specifics of what you think you need to be investing in now? Well, you need earnings growth. That's the dominant feature, or a specific reason for being re-rated, whereas historically with rates coming down, everything uh, got re-rated. So to flip the question around, you need to avoid certain areas, and so anything that benefited from lower interest rates, so property is the obvious, Uh, infrastructure, because everyone thought great asset, and typically they are, so they leverage them up. Now they're being priced for very low coupons if rates go back up. I think people underestimate how much leverage is in the system. And you saw it with Macquarie Infrastructure Corp down 50% overnight because of a you know, problem with one of their assets. We've mentioned the consumer previously in terms of they were perceived as defensive. The reality is they hadn't grown their earnings in 10 years. And when interest rates started going up, it exposed the lack of growth. And not surprisingly, you know, things like Kellogg, Kraft Heinz, Campbell's Soup, uh, those sort of consumer names, yeah, I think they retracted about 30 to 40% uh, over a 12-month uh, period. We think uh, Ronald McDonald, yeah, McDonald's, is 
vulnerable because it's a property business. Mm. If you actually think about it, it's uh, not about selling burgers. It's about you know how much you can earn from the, the property you own. And they've actually been selling off their restaurants, uh, really focusing on franchise fees because Wall Street values them most valuably, leveraging up their balance sheet. So we suspect that that whole restaurant franchise system has been coming over leveraged and investors have forgotten that if they get into trouble, who's the backstop? McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's. So you want to avoid those areas. In terms of where you can take advantage of, um, we think anything where the earnings are underpinned but they have the ability to grow from here and the earnings power is being underrepresented at the moment. So a classic is um, domestic banks, not in Australia because they've got totally separate you know, issues, but Bank America, um, you know, some of the European uh, banks, Wells Fargo again, um, because all the issues they went through the GFC and they've been dealing with, they're now got their capital in order. They're now returning 100% of their retentions with the blessing of the Fed. And you're starting to enter a sweet spot in terms of the US economy and therefore their potential to grow their earnings. So the interesting thing is they're on about, if you adjust for their excess capital, they're on about nine or 10 times earnings, giving you 100% back. So that's an effective yield of eight, nine, 10%, which in a low rate environment is quite phenomenal. So hopefully we were able to, well, our listeners were able to take something away from that. Pretty important uh, to try and understand the impact of inflation. And it's equally important to understand what power the central banks have around the world and how they deal with economic activity. And one way that they deal with economic activity is by uh, quantitative easing. So here's Paul's thoughts on quantitative easing and also the psychology, uh, psychological effect it has on uh, markets. Look, personally, you know, it was the same with the, with the US. I think it was a, a waste of time. Yeah, the first one was fine, get us through. But after that, the reality is you're better off focusing on structural reform and uh, government policy. And I think the reason the uh, QE has been so extreme is because the governments and the structural reform has been lagging. Um, but in the end, yeah, really what's happening with a lot of this liquidity is just sitting on bank balance sheets doing nothing. Um, you've got to break the psychology. So, yeah, I think um, some will argue that it was an important part of you know, helping that psychology, but I reckon the markets are way ahead of it anyway. They're more you know, uh, focused on whether the structural reform will generally come. So I think it was a bit of a waste, to be honest. And to be, you know, I think my comments previously on the US is the fact if you'd, if you'd stopped doing that, the markets, I think, would actually be better off because what happens, as long as they still think the government needs to get involved, or the, you know, the, the monetary authorities need to get involved, oh, well, gee, maybe it's not so strong, yeah, maybe there's a few problems out there we have to... And so it actually creates the environment of conservatism, whereas if they just get out the way, business will get on with investing. All right, uh, three to go here. Hopefully people are taking something away from Paul's words of wisdom. Uh, next one we've got is Paul talking about some alternative investments away from the sort of standard equity space. Yeah, people often wonder how do these anomalies come about? And one of the biggest reasons, I would argue, is it's process. You know, we've become a very process-driven world. Tick the box, and as long as it ticks the box, it's okay. Mm. And what I mean by that, you think alternative fund managers, 
Um, so we're talking KKR, Apollo. Yeah, they're basically fund managers. My business. Fund managers should know them pretty well. Pretty easy to value because if you can't understand your own business, I mean, you shouldn't be in the business in the, in the first place. But the interesting thing is they were dramatically mispriced two or three years ago. You kind of ask yourself, well, why? And the primary reason is process. They invest, or they run their business via a trust structure. And that's actually the way you wanted to do it because it avoids the extra layer of corporate tax. So for a shareholder, that's exactly what you want. But the way institutions are set up uh, in the US is that their mandates don't allow them to own trust structures. So the process stops them from buying these businesses. So two or three years ago, they, on current earnings, they were about three or four times earnings, mm. which is just phenomenal. And this is how crazy uh, process has become because, because of that arbitrage and the way the market was being valued, the owners of these businesses worked out, you know what, if we become a corporate structure allowing these guys to buy us, even though it reduces our net cash flow in our pocket, the valuation goes up because they can buy us. Yeah. So let's do it. KKR announced it two months ago. They're up 25%. Okay, Ren. So for the second last clip from Paul, uh, this is one that we touched on a couple of weeks ago and, and something that you have been trying to, I guess, dig deep and understand yourself. And that is the the risks coming out of the ETF sector and um, you know also the impact that ETFs have on, on investor returns. So uh, this is an interesting one. Could you talk specifically to what you think some of the risks um, coming out of the ETF sector is and why they concern you? And it's, really, it's more kind of a long-term, high-level um, type view in that the one thing, you, the one simple you know, rule you can have in investing is wherever they have the biggest crowd is where you're going to get the worst returns from. Um, and it's just like when we go looking for opportunities, you want to look where there's no one else uh, looking. The biggest crowd of all has all been driven by lower rates so it's the bond market and passive and etfs if you look over the last 10 years don't quote me on the exact numbers but it's something like five trillion dollars of assets have gone into passive and etf yeah so it dominates the market it dominates purchases and so really simple rule of thumb if that's where the crowd is that's probably going to be the worst outcome going forward. And if you think about you know, the fact that um, interest rates have been coming down, that's kind of what's driven that because everything benefits when interest rates are coming down. So you may as well just be invested. You don't have to be that particular. But when interest rates go up, you've got to be much more specific about where you invest. And therefore, the passive and ETF outcome won't be what I think people expect. Now, the reason I say it's a risk is if you look at ETFs, to me, that's the ultimate in um, crowd sentiment investing because people come up with a theme and it's like everyone piles in. If they want to get out, they pile out. So my suspicion is at some point in the future, because there's so much money locked up into these structures, you're going to have an event and everyone wants to come out. Where's the liquidity going to come from? It's all sellers, no buyers. All right, last one for today's episode, and we thought we would finish uh, with something not specifically re- related to an investment, but more about an investment mindset. 
So to finish us off today, here's Paul talking about how it's important to always back your own instincts. I can't underestimate the importance of yeah, backing your own instincts, backing your own convictions. Obviously, you've got to do the work to be able to do that. But there's nothing worse than getting something right but not acting on it because you've been talked out of it by the crowd who are focusing very much on short-term issues. All righty. Well, Ren, we should thank Paul Moore for joining us on the show today. Um, (laughs) No, he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you clarified that. (laughs) It is is an audio podcast, so maybe people (laughs) thought he was in the room saying those clips. (laughs) Oh, God, that was a shocker. Anyway, um, Ren, I hope... I found that that's really interesting. It's always good to hear the thoughts of some very experienced and successful investors. You, you know, you can always take away bits and pieces from them and, and add them to the thoughts and ideas of others as well and start to create your own thesis and understanding of how all of these things work, be it um, backing yourself and doing your own research, uh, understanding inflation, um, quantitative easing, all that sort of stuff, all very important to understand. So, um, hopefully we can continue with this and introduce our listeners to another important Australian investor at some, um, some point down the track. Yeah, and hopefully Paul listens to this or someone in Paul's team listens to this and gets Paul uh, to come on the podcast. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Equity I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.